Hi everyone, welcome back to A11 Crypto. Uh, today I have another special guest with us, uh, Claude from Tomahawk VC. They are a VC that is global first but based in Europe. So I'll let uh, Claude introduce himself and his company. Hey Ari, thanks a lot for having me. So my name is Claude, I'm based in Zurich, Switzerland, and I work at a VC firm that is called Tomahawk. VC. We invest in traditional B2B SaaS businesses where we focus on fintech companies, but also in decentralized finance protocols where we have made one investment so far. We started uh, Tomahawk in 2019. Uh, we are a team of nine people now, uh, all remote. And we have five people on the investment side, three that are working full-time and two venture partners and four people that help us um, in operations. In total, we invest 20 million US dollar um, into pre-seed and seed uh, companies across Europe. So that's that's about Tomahawk and maybe uh, about my personal background. I've been fascinated by uh, how companies work at their core since I'm uh, a small kid. I've always wanted to understand why are like energy companies uh, the most valuable companies in the world back in the day, like 15 years ago. And then also why are tech companies growing so much faster than, than other companies? And, and what is a bank? What does an e-commerce company do? And um, through that, I decided to study business. I did that here in Switzerland. I thought that is the right way to understand how companies work. Uh, I then quickly realized, oh, wow, I, I learned some nice concepts, but that's very far away from what is actually happening in real life. Um, at university, I then uh, got very fascinated by financial markets and especially financial products. So first thing I did after university was is that I worked at a brokerage for structure products. So I got into the world of, of selling financial products to people that most of them don't even really understand. And we ourselves barely understood. Um, and it was kind of the world that you see in these finance films, super superficial money is, is any, everything that, that counts. And while I was fascinated by the products and how they work, I, I realized quickly that this is not the world I want to, to spend the rest of my, of my time. So I decided to go back to university and that in the future, I want to work closer with companies and the people that are actually in the companies, not on, on a layer where you just think about products. Um, and then decided that private equity would be the right avenue for me. So I did that. I worked in Geneva in Switzerland, also in, in Germany in private equity, where I invested into uh, SME companies. I learned a lot there about how major uh, companies work that are scaled, but also realized at the same time that what really fascinates me are companies that go from five to 500 uh, people that are in that uh, phase of the life cycle. So I decided I want to uh, invest into early stage companies to go into venture capital. And around the same time um, was the time where Divinity uh, launched or started to uh, become a thing. And as I was always with one leg into the crypto world on the private side, um, I realized, hey, this could be the next billion dollar company. So I really wanted to work at Divinity originally. <laughs> I tried to reach out to them to, to any possible way. In the end, I wrote in the Telegram channel with 80,000 80, people. And um, I thought this is like my last, my last chance. And like an admin replied me there and uh, sent me an email address where I should uh, write to. I did that, and two weeks later, uh, I got introduced to Cedric, who was then the head of growth at, at Divinity. We met up in Zurich. Um, I, hadn't, I couldn't get the spot in his team at the time, but 
Um, we stayed in contact and I worked a bit for the community team at Definity. And um, that's how I got to know Cedric. We stayed in contact for over a year. And in 2019, he uh, and I started then discussion, discussing about working together. We started the startup together first. Um, that didn't work out, but then um, decided that we both want to work in VC. And he then started Tomahawk during the summer and I joined him in October uh, to build Tomahawk from, from the ground up. No, that's a cool journey, that's man. That's a cool journey. <laughs> that's uh, the background story. So did you find out like why energy company was was the most valuable sector in the world back in 2007, 8 or 9, right? And then you had the financials and then they went down, the, the tech company went up, right? Uh, did, you, did you find out the answer? Or the, how I answered the question is just that at this point in time, um, for everyone in 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 public markets, it was clear that the major or the major resource, like in early two thousand, the major resource that everyone and every country and especially also developed, developing country will need for economic growth is oil and the other resources that the uh, energy companies have gathered, and. Technology was on the rise and the internet was on the rise, but it was hard to understand how big of an impact that will have in the next in the next five to ten years. And so energy companies were still valued uh, very highly. I think we're kind of at a similar spot probably today with the blockchain with blockchain technology, as with the internet, is that a lot of people recognize like the potential that it has, but still like traditional banks, traditional um, tech companies are valued. Uh, 100 times higher than like blockchain companies or blockchain protocols. Um, but maybe 10 years from now, we'll look back and think, wow, like at this point, everyone thought, yeah, blockchain is cool and, and all, but uh, traditional companies were still valued much higher. So I think it's just um, how the market has then perceived the future value of, of these energy companies. Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. I, 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 ha I was wondering the same thing. Um, not back then, but recently I was looking at, uh, the history of the last I don't know, 15 years in, in terms of the how markets are valuing sectors. You know, you had the financials, mm. right? Uh, you had the energy companies. And, you know, then I guess the turning point was when I guess one of them would be like when iPhone was introduced, right? And you have these uh, new innovations. Yeah. And yeah. then you had uh, well, social media. Back then you have social media, right? And then and slowly, um, I, I love the way you sort of, uh, you know, you, you're saying how energy i guess raw material was was needed for people and i think that's still the case but um the fabric of interaction society has changed a lot and therefore i guess yeah, you know exactly. what, what what what's the most relevant and high touch point things in life you know how do you monetize that then then that become the driver for valuation i suppose but uh, but yeah no i i think this is some really good macro alpha leak for people uh, this is, this is a <laughs> nice summary. Um, so yeah, like so, you mentioned um, you and Cedric, you know, were working together and started Tomahawk. And um, I love the uh, the grassroots route you guys you guys took, right? So you went through the financial route, you went to the PE route, you was uh, working at uh, Definity uh, with community and growth, right? So. You've done the you you paid your dues and and you found out what each of these things really are as opposed to what they sound like in people's imagination. Um. So 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 tell us more about about Tomahawk, right? So so once you went through all of that, what are some of the lessons that you learned that then you took all took to Tomahawk and then they became your investment thesis and you know what sort of things 
that are driving you or are guiding you in your process right now? Yeah, that's a very, a very good question. I think what I brought into Tomahawk is more the financial background, the financial perspective, having worked together um, with more major companies, more companies that have 500 or more employees on how a company at this point should look like and how uh, operations look at such a company. And what Cedric with his background brought into the companies, of course, um, he had before started several startups uh, on his own and also previously angel invested. So he had more the, how do you bring an idea from zero to one uh, background? And I probably more at the background, once you are on one, how can you uh, scale that to, to, to 10? And also, of course, what, I, what I've seen at, at Divinity is that how community can have an incredible impact uh, on a certain project, um, but also in both ways. I think if you have, let's say, a community of 10,000 people and the 10,000 people are very excited about your project, it helps you a lot and it can, you, can help you grow exponentially if everyone is an evangelist of the project. But on the other side, if things go south if you take longer than community expected if you take decisions that community um doesn't like then the community can also be totally against you because you have ten thousand people that say hey like this project goes into goes in a totally different direction mm -hmm. and also how uh, and what it means to work uh, to work in a small team and to really build things from uh, from the ground up so i think these two these two things are the major things that uh, i brought into it now with tomahawk we spent uh, the first 18 months with, because maybe going a bit back, when Cedric and I started, I think the main challenge that we thought that we will have is how can we differentiate ourselves among other investors? Because there are a lot of VC funds out there, a lot of people that are starting to invest into startups. And so the main challenge that we thought that we'll have is to get in front of to the best founders and get to know the best companies. Now, after 18 months of building a network and, and relationships, we realized that this is not our biggest challenge anymore. So we, we get to see good companies, we get to see uh, good founders, but we were um, too broad in, in our focus. So just looking at B2B SaaS companies uh, and also DeFi, um, we saw a lot of good companies, but when we then wanted to invest, we were not fast enough because just for pe giving people background, I think the last one, two years, the how long a financing round takes in the traditional markets has, I don't know, decreased by 50 or even more percent. So like if companies go out fundraising to these days, it can go very fast until you need to do a decision. And so we lost one or two or three processes because we were too slow, because we saw companies from uh, traditional enterprise sales uh, onto crypto. So very broad spectrum and we weren't deep in any of those topics. So in November, December, it took a lot of time rethinking how can we get faster and our, our solution is to have more focus and so going forward we will only focus on fintech uh, and DeFi companies and why these two working with a lot of SaaS companies we realized that in the future every company will be a fintech company or will have a fintech uh, aspects because already today a lot of the, of the products you interact with uh, at some point you have a payment stream or you pay it somewhere through the product or you let's say for example on TikTok you'll soon be able uh, to buy the products that the, the influencers are wearing right and so the power goes away from let's say your traditional e-commerce shop that sells clothes but to uh, TikTok that is actually having the most engagement from its users 
So TikTok on some point, um, I don't know when this will happen, but also will become kind of a fintech company if you do payments through TikTok. Um, so we realized that this will be the case and therefore focusing uh, on fintech will be uh, big enough of a market for us to go in and that in the next five years, a lot of that will happen of that change. And of course, uh, decentralized finance, we're following the market now since a year. We think that it has happened so much um, and the, the pace and acceleration in the market is extreme, but it's still very early. It's still wild west. I think just, again, this week was another project that I followed that the developer team just decided to, to fork and do a new project. And um, so this, these things happen still, but I think it's much better than, than a year ago. And um, we want to be close to that. Right, right. Uh, I love your perspective on fintech. Um, I, th I think, I mean, we, we never covered this on this particular show because, you know, we, we, we are, you know, DeFi crypto focused. But I think there's a lot lessons and parallel people can draw from traditional, I guess, market structure or the way that business are and then sort of like uh, export that into, into DeFi. Um, and, you know, when you mentioned uh, how, you know, in the future, TikTok or any platform that will be engaging you, um, users or consumers, right, uh, with eyeballs and then prompt them with a decision to buy, right? And then that sort of shifts the power away from traditional retailers. Maybe you have to go to store. Now you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. Pick a, pick a button. I, I, this is super interesting. I, I and, and I love your perspective on this, right? Um, how, what sort of thing do you see within this particular i guess sector because you know for example if i if i look globally right in asia this is pretty mature well it's still but developing uh, i think uh evolving but it's it's a lot more mature than europe or, or or united states so what are you seeing from where you're sitting so i, I see it the same as you so i think in in asia uh, and we have someone that is working for us in, in shanghai and so it's interesting to to get her perspective on what is daily life in Asia and, and compare it to the US or to Europe. I think people are much more used to, um, let's say, buy, for example, through a social app. Um, I think I've, I don't know anyone that has done it uh, in Europe so far. Like, I don't, none of my friends have bought clothes um, like directly through Instagram, yeah. maybe through a link that was on a profile on Instagram. But I think this is uh, only slow, slowly coming here. Also, uh, companies like Pinduoduo. Um, that social uh, selling. So, hey, uh, I just bought this music box. If you also buy one, we both get it for 50%, which is crazy popular in Asia. Um, it's now becoming a bit more popular in the US. So you have also a, a startup that does more than a billion in uh, in GMV that is doing the same as Pinduoduo, so social selling. And it's just starting to, to, to get um, also relevant here in Europe. And I think with, with COVID, you just... This just accelerated that development also in countries where, like Europe, people like to go to the store because right now they, they can't go to the store. And what happened is that a lot of people realized, hey, it's actually super easy to buy online. I can try clothes home. I can just send them back. It's no problem. Young people already did this a lot. But uh, what we see in Europe now as well is that people that are 40, 50 years plus, they start ordering more online and they keep ordering online. And a lot of people also thought, hey, yeah, maybe that changes during the, the crisis, but then it changes back again. But interestingly, even when stores opened again, the relative share of the older people also buying online states uh, as uh, during the, the lockdown. So um, I think 
Europe and US are lagging a bit behind uh, Europe even more than the US, uh, but it's also it's also coming. What do you think of the uh, this? This is slightly different from crypto, but what do you think of the e-commerce market in Europe? Right, it's it's such a fragmented market. You know, for example, I don't I don't even know who's the dominant player in in e-commerce in Switzerland. Is it Amazon? No, Amazon has a Switzerland is a particular case because Amazon has not really focused on Switzerland, so you can only buy very few products on Amazon actually in Switzerland. Um, I think one part of the problem is the labor laws because they're uh, pretty strict and Amazon, as you probably know, um, on in their um, logistic centers, they don't have the best uh, conditions for its workers. And also the market is complex because you have uh, three languages um, and it's also very small compared uh, to the market in Germany. So I think for now, this has not been a a target uh, for amazon i i i think 2020 or the, the 2020s will still be a big year for e-commerce because i as you say i think it's very uh, very fragmented and there will be a lot of uh, consolidation also what is happening right now is that more and more people start selling their their things online through shopify and it's become very easy to do that and they're filling niches with with their products and then they instead of developing it into a cash flow business, what has happened in the last 10 years. So people start their side shop, the, the shop grows, grow, grows bigger and bigger. And at some point the shop is uh, earning their income, right? Um, but you didn't have like an exit opportunity. So no one was buying your shop, but that is happening now. So you have four or five companies in Europe and also in the US that focus on the best sellers on Amazon and eBay and they start uh, consolidating uh, them together. So I think they're is a lot going on. The market is still growing, and I think the next, uh, the next five to ten years will still be uh, very relevant for for e-commerce. And I think some sectors, and especially the B two B side, is just discovering that um, that B two B is or that e selling online is also is also a a possibility. Especially like we've looked at deals where you trade, for example, raw materials uh, of renewable plastics. How they would do it today is that they have an, a forum. Uh, it looks like if you've ever been on Bitcoin talk, like these kind of forums, like a 2005 style forum, and someone posts, I have, I don't know, 25 tons of this certain plastic in Hamburg, uh, and I sell it at that price. And then four days later, someone replies in the forum. So like these kind of markets are huge, but not yet uh, on online and they will cost five five to ten years as well right right um yeah i think that's super interesting um because it's like i remember that i had once a, a guy you know who's doing manufacturing in china and they were looking for specific uh used printers that you can only find i think mm. yeah certain places in europe right and and for certain prices that's specific models they want and they don't know where to get it you know, they were asking me, I was like, I don't know, I Google this, right? See what happens, right? And exactly what you said, you, you have a bunch of uh, really old page, like style, like web pages, you're going to look for it and you have a content number or something. And then you try to contact the guy. It's, it's really time consuming, right? As opposed to, I mean, I don't, I don't even know in Asia if people can do this, but I imagine if you can list things on Alibaba, can you also list this on Alibaba? I mean, I don't know, right? Maybe, maybe you can, maybe you cannot, but- uh, Yeah, see from Alibaba, I've never, I've never listed anything. So yeah, 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 I don't know. Yeah, but but that's interesting. That's interesting. So what are some of the um, things you? And I know we're talking about you know uh, fintech, right? So what are some of the specific things you like 
uh, in this particular vertical? And maybe w- what is your process that you use to de-risk your investment into these 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 uh, companies? Uh, also, I guess for 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 maybe the projects founders who listen to this, can you also maybe tell them a bit more about what sort of you know sizing of valuation you like in company that that will match what you're looking for? Of course. So first, what kind of uh, companies in the fintech space do we currently look at? We focus right now mainly on B2B companies still and B2B companies that are focusing on the lower segment uh, of the SME market. Uh, So the smaller companies in the SME market. um, Why do we think that is relevant, becomes more relevant the next two to five years? We think that the world becomes more decentralized. So more people will start their own business, their own small business with maybe they start on Shopify, maybe they get two or three employees um, in the next four to five years. And because it has been become so easy to start your own company online and the costs of starting a company have gone down drastically. Also working together remotely is, is so much more uh, prevalent right now that instead of the um, middle uh, market growing, we see that the small, or we think that the small SME market will grow um, much faster. And that's why we focus on product that will serve uh, that market. We also think that currently this market is underserved. So let's say you have products that are made for these SME companies, uh, expense tools, for example, or tax tools or accounting tools. They're all, they have a lot of features, but they're also most of the time too complex for, for small companies. Let's say in your expense management tool, you have 180 currencies and most of the small SMEs, they probably need four or five. Uh, and then, of course, you also pay for these uh, very complex features that, in the end, these, these SMEs don't really um, even need. So that's something that in fintech we are looking for. Stage-wise, we invest in pre-seed and seed. So the investment tickets that we write are usually in pre-seed between 250 uh, and 400k, and in seed uh, between 700 uh, and 700k US dollar uh, and one million. Valuation-wise, this is always a bit hard to say if you don't have uh, any other uh, markers or any other uh, signs of the company. But usually in pre-seed and seed rounds, you as a founder or you as a company, the amount of investment you you take on will equal somewhere between 15 and 25% um, of uh, the the company. So if you, let's say, raise a pre-seed round uh, of 1 million, and you give away 20% of the company, the valuation of the company is between uh, is, is around 5 million. Um, that's a, a way how you can think about and think through it. And depending on how fast you grow, how much traction you have, let's say you already have revenues as a pre-seed company, um, this can change and you have a bit more uh, negotiating power. And it's always also a an answer of the market. Like if you solve a problem that is that a lot of people want, to have solved uh, those valuations, especially in the last six to 12 months, uh, they can go very high also in very early rounds, right, depending right, right. On, on how many people would like to, to, to invest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think valuation is a uh, is a, a fast evolving topic, huh? um, <laughs> especially during the last uh, year or two, right? Um, I, I know things have been crazy in San Francisco, in Silicon Valley, but how how are things in in Europe, right? Are we are we seeing you know I don't know price double? You know, we're seeing like ten million valuation or maybe even more for for like series uh, for seed or or, or pre series A. Yeah, so 
I don't think it's at the point as it is in the US. The US still um, is more developed or it's, it's there are still higher valuations. So if you uh, raise a normal pre-seed round in the US, I think the valuation is between eight and 10 million right now, depending on your background and the traction that you have. I think in Europe, um, it's still uh, in the four or five million range and the average seed round probably uh, 10, 12 million, where that in the US can, can already be 20 million. But it has increased in the last two years by a lot. I think this is also to do with just the amount of capital that is uh, everywhere in the market. So we've been printing a lot of money since uh, eight to 10 years. Money is as cheap as it's never been before. So this first flows into bonds, then it flows into equities. And uh, at some point also flows into private markets. First, probably real estate, then private equity. And now in the last two, three, four years, uh, also in venture capital. So people raising larger and larger funds. And what happens with that is that people also need to invest more money. And some of the larger funds, let's say uh, index that has a, a 2 billion fund uh, in Europe. If you invest um, 2 million in a, in a pre-seed round at the 10 million valuation, that's 0.1% of your fund. So if that does go past, it's not that hard for you. If that becomes a huge company, um, it's, 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 it's nice for you. But if you have a small fund like we do, 2 million would be 10% of our fund. So we can't do that same investment. And so it has been uh, becoming harder for smaller funds uh, to compete. And um, I don't think, personally, don't think this is going to, to change in the next one, two, three years. Because they're like, probably you've seen it, but the US, uh, US Treasury has... Um, still printing. I think, yeah, it's still printing. And they, I think they, they printed 20 or 25% of all US dollar that are in existence just last year. So, um, and with that money, of course, they're buying government bonds, uh, uh, government and public, uh, public as a company bonds, and public companies are buying back stock with that. So the prices, stock prices go up, um, and that money then also goes into private markets. And I just don't see the circle stopping any, anytime soon. Or we have like a crazy external uh, input or crisis. So let's see what happens. But I don't think this uh, the high valuations will, will stop in the next six to 12 months right so so what are some of the um i i know i know we we touched on you know the the sector focus uh the stage of the company uh the ticket sizing how about you know what sort of uh traction do you look for do, do you um is that a hard you know uh cut off do, do you only invest in when when they have you know revenue or pre-revenue or how do you look at it? Yeah, that's a good question. It's different for, for any fund, I think. For us, we don't have hard numbers in pre-seed and seed. I think for pre-seed, for us, it's just important that you can show that somewhere in the world there is a user that really likes your product or there is someone, a company, for example, that um, is at some point ready to, to pay for your solution. You don't have to have revenues already. You don't have to have... Uh, many users but when we talk to users let's say you have a small sme product and we talk to someone that has used your product or your mvp even um, we need to feel that hey you're solving a real pain uh, of that person um, so that is kind of how we try to to assess companies that are in the pre-seed phase that are very early if you uh, raise a seed round i think you should have um, some kind of revenues it doesn't have to be 
uh, high revenues, but also uh, there you, sh you should be able to show that um, you solved not perfectly the product market fit, but you, that you have a product that you can sell. Because uh, in pre-seed, it's fine if you just, or from our view, if you uh, have pilots that are free or if you give the product for free to customers. But in seed, um, I think it's important that people are, you solve a problem that is so important to people that they also pay for your product. It doesn't have to be the perfect pricing yet. It doesn't have to be the perfect uh, product yet. It can still be very early, but um, people should be, or your clients should be willing to pay for, for the product. Right. There is some and sort typically, of... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Typically, what we see is that uh, companies that are raising seed rounds, they have uh, somewhere between 100 to three 400K uh, in revenue. And if it's a SaaS business, uh, in recurring revenue. And you're talking about monthly? or yearly no yearly okay yeah um so i, I think guess... the, the easiest mm -hmm. the easiest mark of a hard number uh, to raise your series a so that's even one round after the seed round is one million us dollar in recurring revenue that is the the like golden or like a benchmark that a lot of people talk about and then from there you can uh, calculate back uh, how much you need uh, at seed basically and then uh, take it from there got you Got you. And I think you touched on a very, very relevant point to do with crypto uh, as well, because in crypto, <laughs> there's no traction. You raise money at crazy valuations. So maybe let's talk about some of the differences you are seeing between invest traditional VC and then crypto VC, right? What are some of the differences in terms of, I guess, process, valuation, founder, product, traction? It's a very good question. I think we and also the market are still trying to figure uh, these differences out problem or like a large problem with with investing into protocols and into DeFi is that you have to think about the potential value this protocol could have uh, at day of launch or at day of the token gets released even like one year or 18 months before you uh, before that launch that launch um, actually happens. So to make that mental calculation and to find yourself at a price and evaluation that makes sense at that point, with also the risk that you have that uh, it doesn't work out at all, is very difficult. And it's very different from what happens in traditional uh, venture fundraising, where you also have some kind of risk. But um, what you do is that just if the company after 18 months is still working well, you can raise another round uh, at a bit higher valuation. Uh, then 18 months later again you raise another round but what usually happens in crypto projects is that you um, set the token allocation at day one uh, you sell the tokens at a certain price at a certain valuation you maybe do uh, a second token round uh, after 18 months if you can show some traction but then most of the time uh, the, the token is launched and the token is trading publicly so also all the people that want to buy it individually the funds that are out there that want to buy it and trade it all have influence on the token price. So much more of the feature value of the product is already put into the, the early rounds valuation. And this can just lead to valuations that you think are crazy uh, in retrospect, or also right now people uh, product or people that have no product yet that raise, uh, I don't know, at 70, 80 million valuation. But um, the future value of the product, of course, could be uh, as you look at Uniswap and the other protocols uh, in the billions as well. So it's just the, the these kind of companies and projects are not comparable to traditional companies. That's probably why also the 
evaluations are not comparable with uh, traditional valuations and what traditionally is going on. Because if you look at, for example, at uh, Aave and how much revenue they do and how fast they grow, that's uncomparable like to, to, to they, they're growing much faster um, in revenue than probably traditional companies ever have month for month. So they raising at a high valuation, even be, like before they, they released their product, I don't know how much the money they raised in what valuations, but also had uh, some kind of uh, sense probably to it. Um, I, I think, um, sorry, go ahead. No, no, and just process wise, um, I think everything goes, uh, goes much faster and is much uh, more fragile and also volatile. I think the upside in crypto and, and DeFi is incredibly, or like the potential is, is immense because you are global and people can use your product around the world basically from day one. Right. Uh, but also uh, the downside and people stopping a project or forking, forking a project or you go live and you have um, just uh, a vulnerability in your protocol that um, these risks, um, they are also much higher than in a traditional company where you have um, also, for example, the, the potential to, to do something completely different, uh, to do a pivot, uh, which is in an open source protocol, it's very hard. And once it is live, to change it is, is not impossible, but it's, it's very hard. I think you touched a few very, very important points, right? So you have a much faster route to liquidity in crypto, um, but that yeah. is both, I guess, a blessing and, and a curse, right? Because you know, if you don't have mechanism where you can raise future rounds based on uh, traction, yeah. um, you know, like <laughs> it seems like you have one shot, right? So either you get in and it works or it doesn't. It, it, that's it. That's it, right? Totally agree. Um, and, you know, I, 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 you're, you're also, I mean, I, can, I think the point where decentralization allows people, you know, it, it reduces friction, right? As it's supposed to in concept and reality between transactions. That would allow protocols to grow um, a lot faster than you probably otherwise would have um, with a lot of frictions because if you just click buttons, that's much easier to do, um, I guess, for, for, for a lot of the crypto users. Um, but but how do you how do you adapt to 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 the market environment in, in crypto, right? Because I I you know I I have this image that a a lot of the projects currently in crypto are funded by crypto native funds and at valuation that are totally different from traditional VC. You just wouldn't see it. And so like how 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 do how do how do you see this evolve? You know. Um, yeah, just give us your, your take, your opinion. Yeah, it's a very good question. I think we ourselves are still in the process of getting getting used to the new processes and also thinking about what is the best setup for you as a fund. I think the next, or right now the space is dominated, as I say, by crypto native funds. And I also think this will um, continue to be like that for the next one, two, three, four years. Because what I'm seeing that is happening right now, traditional generalist funds or traditional big funds, they have, let's say, a crypto vehicle or they looked at token investments. But first of all, for them, it's very hard to invest into token structures from a legal perspective. And then also their LPs often, um, they don't want them to invest into tokens. Uh, so this is the second point. And I think the crypto focused funds right now, what they do is they build up um, very specific knowledge on the one hand and also 
an unfair advantage in that um, the good funds that I know, they build up engineering teams that can support their crypto projects. For example, they uh, support the projects with, uh, they provide liquidity to, to certain tokens. They make markets for certain tokens, um, or also they, for, for a lending protocol that I know, uh, one fund is, is running one of the liquidation bots so that just the protocol runs as intended. And of course, there are other people doing the liquidations, but it's just one party more that, that helps you run the project as it should. And I think those funds, they're building such a, a strong um, value proposition right now to DeFi projects. They built the right networks on engineers, on solidity people. Uh, I think it will be hard to catch up for the old or traditional funds and especially generalist funds that now explore to also go uh, into crypto. Because I, if I were a crypto project, I probably go with the people that spend day and night in DeFi and uh, on crypto and know everyone in the space. Uh, yeah, I, I think you, that, that is a fair landscape, right? But, um, but like how, how, because like all of this, all of this expertise they build up, right, is very crypto native. But one of the things that I, I think could be interesting is that there are, you know, crypto people always talk about, we talk about, you know, integrating into the real world, right? Because there is a real world. There is a larger things at, at play. So, and I think a lot of the projects that are building maybe things that has a real world application, these are the projects that I think will be very important in the future, but they may uh, look upon traditional VCs with more, I guess, you know, uh, favor because you need real world connections and, and customers to make it work. Otherwise it's not a business, right? Otherwise it's just, I guess, trading, pressing buttons. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of projects are currently figure out, figuring out what is the, the best way to build completely crypto native and focus fully on crypto users. And once like a lot of crypto users are here, maybe do the, the bridge to the traditional world and other projects that start out uh, directly with having a bridge into the traditional world. I think in 2017, we've seen a lot of those projects as well, a lot of supply chain projects, a lot of projects that directly apply blockchain somewhere. Um, and I think projects and also investors and also the markets are still figuring out where will this transition happen? Will the, just the, let's say, crypto and DeFi space grow and grow and grow without having too much of a connection to, let's say, traditional markets or will there be one or two or three projects that have a direct connection to traditional world and those will be very important and basically the base layer for everything that happens i think we have not seen not seen the answer yet or if in my perspective okay so with that in mind um what are some of the exciting milestones that you think we can look forward to in this year whether that's the verticals you focus on or maybe some of the portfolio companies you guys have or outside of it it's a good question. I think it's going to be an exciting year for DeFi in general. I think what is happening uh, with big tech companies banning Trump uh, and also what is happening now with Robinhood and the GameStop um, share, people restricting to trading is that people get more and more aware of, hey, why could centralization be a problem? And I think in general, this will help DeFi. I don't think like everyone will jump into it, but just pushing the narrative a bit, especially in Europe, uh, is what I noticed in the last few weeks and yeah, I think the other side, I think both in traditional and also in uh, DeFi markets, just a lot of 
innovation and change is happening. I think also through the crisis, a lot of people took it also as an opportunity. I see a lot of new startups coming up and a lot of uh, creative people also getting into a startup from their corporate job. Um, and I think it's just going to be a year that is very fast and also like 2020 with a lot of uh, ups and downs. Um, and from exciting milestones in our portfolio company, I think just one comes to mind and the people that, that are in the DeFi space should uh, or could pay attention to it is that Liquity, uh, the lending protocol that we invested in, will launch uh, in Q1 or that's the plan right now. They just finished their audit with Trail of Bits. Everything was well and so i'm excited for that and also of course uh, a bit nervous because always uh, the launch is uh, even though if you're prepared as best as you can it's always uh, it's always exciting time but i'm very very confident in the team and uh, looking forward to that so okay. end of march is going to be exciting for us okay guys so uh you should check it out liquidity right um i Personally, I, 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 I knew you guys invested in it. I, I'm not that familiar with, with what they do. If you can give us maybe a, a short uh, summary. Yes, of course. So Liquity is basically a lending protocol uh, on Ethereum. It is similar to Maker, but has two or like, I think, 10 differences. But the three or four major ones are that in Maker, you have human governments. So you have the token holders that... Uh, interact in governance and take decisions uh, in MakerDAO, liquidity of algorithmic governance. So based on certain sets and st statistics of the protocol, uh, liquidity will, for example, um, change the fees, the issuance fees, the redemption fees in the protocol and through that hold, um, because they also issue a stablecoin like Maker that has DAI, liquidity has LUSD and um, Maker packs their die to $1 through governance, human governance and liquidity does that with algorithmic governance. Another um, difference is that uh, MakerDAO has multi-collateral. So you can not only uh, have ether as collateral, but um, also different ERC-20 tokens. In liquidity to begin with, you only have Ethereum as collateral. Um, the, and I think the, the biggest thing, the two things that are interesting for users is that liquidity is interest-free. So you, charge at the beginning, you are charged uh, an issuance fee that is around $20 or depending on gas prices. But then you can hold your position of open uh, for as long as you want and you don't pay interest on uh, the money you took out. And then also, and compared to that in, in MakerDAO, you pay a stability fee that is uh, changing all the time. And also with liquidity, you can have a lower collateral ratio of 110%. So you deposit Ether in value of 110 and you can get stablecoin of 100 uh, out of the system. So that is the maximum. That is probably not uh, what you should do if you're not an experienced user, but uh, you can get basically more uh, for, more bang for your buck uh, in, in liquidity. And I think the last differentiation is that the auction mechanism in MakerDAO, so once uh, a position is under-collateralized in MakerDAO, um, it is auctioned away. So people have to bid on that collateral and in liquidity, um, this process um, is done instantly and they, it is not auctioned away, but absorbed by uh, a liquidity pool. So you have liquidity providers in liquidity that help uh, absorb the liquidations compared to auctioning away the collateral that is liquidated. There is a good video um, on the main proposals and uh, the main differences to MakerDAO on YouTube, if you want to link it 
the show notes for your listeners. Yes, we'll do. That probably can cool. ex- where the founder Robert uh, can I probably explain the differences better than I do right now. But I try maybe, my best. Maybe we should get him on before March. So I guess by the end of this year, let's 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 rewind and come back and see what happened. And uh, yeah, that would be that would be great. Yeah, see how everything developed. So I look forward, man. I hope a great year for you and the fund. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing you back here again. <laughs>